Broadcasting live from Business Radio X Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Learning Insights. Featuring learning professionals, improving performance to drive business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor here with you this afternoon. Lee, this is going to be a fantastic segment. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with Immersive Health Group, Mr. Dove Hirsch. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Stone. Thank you very much, Lee. It's, uh, it's great to join you guys today. Well, Dove, before we get too far into things, tell us about Immersive Health Group. How are you serving folks? Yeah, so, um, so we are in the most, maybe not the most bizarre space, but one of the most bizarre spaces. Um, so if someone were to have asked me even, you know, two years ago that I'd be working in the virtual reality space, I would have thought they were just purely crazy. Um, we develop virtual reality and augmented reality solutions to address a variety of healthcare needs, anywhere from uh, virtual reality training, learning and development, uh, skill, upskilling, as well as pain management and behavioral health. And that's what we do. So now the user of your technology is not necessarily just the physicians or doctors. It can also be the patients as well. That's exactly right. It basically falls into two different groups, patient-facing uh, solutions and then also clinicians and caregivers. And then when you're developing the training for each of those groups, is it dramatically different? Well, it depends, right? So if you are a physician uh, in need of a pain management solution for yourself, right, that's going to be a, um, a pain management. We, we typically think about it in terms of what are we trying to accomplish, right? So, so virtual reality and augmented reality technology, although it's several decades old at this point, it's really been coming online um, really with exponential growth over the past five years. And so there are unique applications that make this technology highly suitable. So from a patient-facing standpoint, think of it uh, as maybe trying to learn a new skill, but patients are coming at this from a different context, right? Um, they may be coming at it without a professional medical degree or a nursing um, education or background, right? So, so we need to be thinking about learning as it relates to the user and tailoring that experience accordingly. Now, um, before we get too far into the weeds about this, can you explain to like a lay person the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality? Absolutely. So augmented reality is uh, the idea of taking your current physical environment, right, the room that you're in right now, and overlaying digital visual objects into that room. So if you are training, for instance, on um, an HVAC unit or talk healthcare, right? Let's, uh, let's say you're training uh, to learn uh, a new anatomical procedure. You're standing in uh, a uh, surgical room, if you will, a uh, surgical theater, and you put on a augmented reality headset. And what that headset's going to do is it's going to overlay, you're going to be able to see your, your actual physical space, and it's going to overlay perhaps a patient in there as well. Okay, so it's blending those two components. When you think about virtual reality, the idea of immersion and presence takes over. What you're doing is essentially blocking yourself out. You're taking yourself visually and from an auditory perspective out of your physical space almost entirely. 
even though you are still physically present there, you want to be immersed in a new space. So think about uh, sitting down uh, in your desk chair, right, at work, and you want to put yourself in a highly immersive clinical environment, like a patient examination room, and start to practice your interviewing skills with patients, okay? You're going to put your headset on. You will no longer see that physical room you're currently in. You're going to see the physical, the, the virtual room that you're in. And so you'll be completely immersed. So they are actually fairly different in terms of the appropriate application. And then for the people who haven't really experienced this, I've had the chance to um, use headsets for both of those. Uh, they're very immersive. Like if you're in the virtual world, it really feels like you're in the virtual world to the point of if it looks like there's a hole in the ground and your step, it you almost feel like you're going to fall into a hole. Like it's, it's truly um, extraordinary in how this makes you feel it. It's not like your brain can like click on and off and go, Oh, I know this is fake. It seems very real. That's that exactly right. That's exactly right. So, so the example that you gave is a, is a very good example whereby um, people who often certainly for the first time, but even repeatedly go into virtual reality, they, they know they're standing, they're standing flat on the ground, right? And you go into a virtual reality experience that's designed to, to mimic climbing a tower, for instance, and then you're instructed to maybe walk across a tightrope. You know in your mind, you in reality are standing on the ground. You're not standing on a tightrope thousand feet above the air. But your mind is having difficulty reconciling that simply because our senses are, are our senses. We, we, can, we can essentially fool the mind into thinking something else. And so we need, what we do is we actually take advantage of what you can do by placing your senses in a completely different space. Simply put, Many people for many tests, when we think about the learning space, a lot of learning is best done through experience. But it's right. really expensive and risky and dangerous to simply practice on patients, right? We don't do that. What virtual reality does is it provides an affordable and highly accessible opportunity for people to practice procedures, practice anything in a medical context, and, and quite frankly, in just about any context endlessly so that they can develop that muscle memory, if you will, and really gain that exposure and that experience without having to take any risks or additional costs. And then really that, valuable. The, the ability to get all of those repetitions in, the, especially in kind of a, a fast paced manner, if they'd like, would, it would be too costly, too risky and too dangerous in a lot of different environments. And in this case, you can do this very um, efficiently and get, I would imagine, a person's skill set uh, to a higher level faster. Is that accurate? That's absolutely right. So, so I think speed is really an important piece of why we're doing this. Certainly, why our company is doing this, and why the broader, why the broader shift is occurring in the marketplace around this. Uh, if you think about, even in the context of today's environment with our current public health crisis, right. Before this public health crisis hit, we have a shortage of uh, nurses, a shortage of doctors around the country, if not around the world, okay? 
And so all of a sudden, you overlay this exacerbation of the system, and now we're really talking about significant problems. When you think about the amount of time it takes to upskill, train any type of a clinician, this can be somebody who's highly, highly skilled and highly complex, or somebody who is in a less complex clinical environment, it can take a minimum of year, measure, measurement in years. Part of the reason for that is it's very difficult, right? We want our people to be able to perform the best, be the best, do the best. But a lot of what they learn in that experience, I'll give you an example. My, my, own, my own brother is uh, finishing up his medical residency, and his residency alone was five years. That's after medical school. So you think about the need to actually more effectively prepare a workforce to deliver clinical support in the community, we need to be able to do it better, faster, and cheaper. And we've seen other trends in the, in the, in the market move in this direction, right? We've seen medical schools move to a completely free model because they want to reduce the barriers to entry where appropriate. There's all types of steps that are happening. VR and AR is a really important one. Now, where are we on the product life cycle for VR and AR? Um, you know, where, have we gone past this kind of awareness stage into an education stage, or is this something that now people are very comfortable investing in? Yeah, so it's all over the map. It's really interesting. It's a really interesting question. Let's talk about what the product's capabilities are and what they are. And then let's talk about where the market readiness is in relation to that. Um, I would say that in the last 18 months, there has there have been exponential gains in what the product can do purely from a hardware standpoint. The software has been around for a very long time. Software has been fairly mature. It's certainly evolving further with advances in hardware, but the hardware has really needed to catch up, and it's still catching up, okay? So when you think about it, uh, up until about 18 months ago, even less, uh, to use a high, to, to, to learn using virtual reality in a highly effective fashion, you needed to invest at least several, several thousand dollars in hardware. You needed a combination of a, 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 a complex computer with a complex piece of VR equipment. Now you can enter the game with $400, right? Less than most of the cell phones we all have in our pockets, right? Um, $400 gets you an all-in-one headset that is highly comfortable, highly effective, works unbelievably well. So just that in and of itself has, has been a game changer. So let's talk a little bit about the market. The market now is, is basically saying, okay, for all intents and purposes, we have the hardware, we have the software, let's, let's go, right? Let's, let's move in this direction. Now, the market is, is, is varied, right? It's not all uh, monolithic. But we're seeing, especially in the, in the higher education sector over the past few weeks, just an explosion of interest because all of a sudden, the imperative to deliver highly effective training through a distance learning mod, model is, is on our doorstep right now. Right. There's the urgency of the crisis and the um, now there's tools to really deal with it. So they're kind of married at this point or, or people are willing to take the risk to implement this. That's exactly right. I mean, I think, I think <laughs> there's a lot of people who've said it and said it well, but essentially if you have a great product in a horrible market, 
that great product will, will often get its teeth kicked in, if you will, right? It, it's very difficult. When the market conditions are right, you could even have a terrible product and it could do okay. The market is screaming for these types of solutions. And the fact that the speed and the price, um, the, speed, the speed of learning has accelerated, the price has come down dramatically. Now we're in a position um, as an industry to really deliver impact through this technology. And, and I expect that, you know, you, can, you could use any analogy you want, the genie in the bottle, the cat in the bag. <laughs> I've heard a lot of interesting ones lately. But, but on, on, a, on an important level, the, the marriage between distance learning and digital um, is really being solidified by the current, current climate. So now where is the emphasis for your company right now? Are you targeting hospitals and health systems? Are you going to insurance companies, uh, medical device companies? Who, who are the um, kind of low-hanging fruit for you? Really good question. So, so the, the way we talk about who we serve and support is we are preparing clinicians and caregivers to deliver the next generation of patient care. So, so what, is, what exactly does that mean? Right. So you mentioned some of those stakeholder groups, certainly hospitals and health systems employ uh, the vast majority of clinicians and caregivers today. Right. That also, however, includes outpatient care facilities. It includes skilled nursing. It includes home care um, organizations. Um, that's really important. And I'll talk about that in a moment. We've also seen over the past approximately five to 10 years, a shift in the market whereby uh, hospitals and health systems are increasingly becoming payers. They're, in, they're becoming managed care organizations, right? They're taking on an insurance or a risk-based model. And then we're also seeing health insurance organizations become providers, right? Um, United Health Group um, is, is, is one of the biggest, right? And so they've taken on a responsibility to actually deliver care as well. So we're seeing a convergence there. And that's why for us, we focus on who is who are the users who need this support who need this this tool in order to enable them to deliver the best possible care for the patient population the other side of this is when we think about we're preparing clinicians and caregivers we're also working with higher education so nursing schools medical schools allied health schools and programs um, because essentially when you think about learning right it's a continuum it never Ends. And certainly, not only should it not end in general, but certainly in the medical field, there is no end to insight, essentially, right? Any caregiver or clinician has requirements throughout the life cycle of their career for continuing education. So we are supporting higher educational institutions and those programs all the way through experienced clinicians. Now, when it comes to the medical device uh, companies, I would imagine there's an opportunity there to really work in partnership with them to develop technology and software that really helps them uh, educate and train the people who are using their devices. Is there any play there? There's absolutely an opportunity there. We are working with uh, a number of different medical device manufacturers, but also supply manufacturers. I think we draw a distinction there. Uh, and so for them, if you think about, if you think about a very simple user experience that we've seen time and again, when a clinician in the, let's just say in a hospital setting needs to do a procedure or they need to do something often because it's not the norm for them, right? 
it's often referred to as a low frequency procedure for that clinician. Um, they're not doing it all the time. And so as a result of that, what they've been doing historically is uh, when they have to remind themselves or, or, or essentially solve for that just-in-time learning need, what they've been doing is they go to YouTube, right? They, they watch a video. That's very commonly the case. They say, okay, now I get it, right? I understand how to use this device. I think there's absolutely a role for two-dimensional video content in the learning space. We've seen an explosion of it. If you are looking to actually enable somebody to make mistakes, which is what we want them to do in a practice environment, right? We want them to engage with the material, with the assets. The virtual reality opportunity there is tremendous uh, on that side. The other piece that's really important to recognize here is the idea of standardization, okay? Standardization is a moving target that is unbelievably difficult to achieve in the healthcare and provider environment. And so what this does is you're actually providing somebody an opportunity to practice towards a goal of organizational standardization, especially when you're thinking about utilizing medical devices. Now, um, how much of what you're doing in healthcare is transferable to other industries? I, I, it's hard for me to think of an industry where this does not apply. Um, I, I think, I think we, we need to, there are nuances, right? Training somebody to, to care for a patient is going to have some crossover content, right? From a communication standpoint, but the technical obviously is going to be different. Um, there's also a lot of nuance in the world of virtual reality. Okay. So not all virtual reality is produced the same way. It's not all the, not all the same type of content. Some virtual reality is often referred to as 360. Essentially it's, it's, it's live action, right? It's you've captured a photo real environment. Some of it is, uh, uh, CG, right? It's, it's, it's recreated environment, mm -hmm. different applications. I think the, the critical piece here is, as I shared earlier, right? We want to tailor the solutions that we're developing to our end users every time we build something we go into it with that in mind because it's not a one-size-fits-all solution people need the ability to to adopt this and make this their own but also feel as though this this for instance even in a hospital right not all hospitals are identical in fact i would argue you've been to one hospital, you've basically been to one hospital. They all have a lot of differences about the culture, how they work, what they do, the medical devices that they've, that they've acquired as, you know, even for the same application. So we need to think about the parametric nature of, of, of the application. So if you were talking to somebody who is kind of dipping their toe into virtual reality and augmented reality for the first time, what are some of the kind of do's and don'ts? It's really interesting. So invariably, and I mean invariably, when I see people putting on a headset for the first time, everyone says exactly the same thing verbatim, okay, which is, I mean, I've never seen that type of uniformity in a, in a, in a market reaction. Everyone is, is blown away and they'll say, wow, that is cool. <laughs> and so, so that's the first response almost, and it, they're all using essentially the same verbiage to describe what they've experienced. It's a completely different thing than they've ever done before. So there's a few categories of this. Number one, you have to think about your user. 
So for the people who who have never put on a VR headset, and I would say that re- represents the majority of the population, their first reaction is going to be, wow, this is incredible. This is so cool. So expect that. That said, we have to remind ourselves, again, what is the business application? How am I capturing value out of this at an exponential rate, right? Having something that is cool, good, that that gets us over the first hurdle. But we need to align this technology with business objectives and goals, preferably on a strategic level for the organization. Because keep in mind, right, this is not as simple as downloading an app, right? We're, We're... there's a hardware component to this. There's a design component to this. This is not, it's not simple, okay? It may seem that way when you put that experience on, but we need to think through those things so that organizations can capture exponential value. And we're already calculating what that looks like, and it's incredible. But, but people have to be intentional about that, okay? So that's, that's really, really important. The other side of this is on an enterprise level, you have to partner with someone who understands enterprise technology at its core. Development for VR is, is interesting and it's exciting, but there's still everything else that has to happen, right? You still need to integrate with learning management systems, identity servers, single sign-on, um, information security. All of that components still apply. So don't lose sight of that, right? Get the right people in your organization to understand the nuts and bolts. The what is critical, the how might even be more important. Now, Dove, um, when you're kind of building this technology and you're helping these organizations, how difficult is it for your organization to find the talent in order to kind of execute on this promise? It's a really good question. Um, You know, it's actually been, hmm, (laughs) it's been, it's been both difficult, but then it's become increasingly um, more, more of an opportunity is what I would say. So, so the difficulty, I'll talk about this. Simple supply and demand, right? Irrespective of the type of technology and the type of software development you're doing, right? We, we've all seen the numbers. There is, a, there is a shortage. There are not enough software developers, engineers uh, in the marketplace to, to meet the, the, the need and the growing need. And, and, and so we have to recognize that. You look at that universe of, of software development and engineers, and then you start to look at people who have experience building in VR, it's a much smaller subset. So you have to really look for people who, who are committed to this because I'll, it is not, it's not easy. It's, it's actually fairly complex. And so as a result, you need that, those specialists what I would say, however, though, is we've seen this as an opportunity to actually build our own, right? So we have been really effective at bringing people in who are in love with the technology, who are incredibly talented, and so enabling them and creating an environment where they can become better and better and better at this skill set by hiring industry leaders in this space and really making that knowledge and experience transferable and sharing that with a growing workforce. So for us, we've taken a blended approach that's really both a, a, you know, looking for existing talent who has a depth of experience in this, and then also looking for that emerging talent that's looking to grow their capabilities. 
Now, what are the the kind of trends you're looking at over the next few years in this space? I think we're going to see, you know, I think if if the last year has been any indication, and I think it's a very strong indication, not just in terms of the technology, but really the adoption, we're going to see we're going to see this explode. And I think that I, I would have shared that even if you know if it was a month or two ago before we really started feeling the effects of the current public health crisis with coronavirus. And so I think what's going to happen is we're pushing ourselves unintentionally, quite frankly, and it depends on it depends on uh, vertical and sector and, and, and industry. But we essentially are not we're not going to have a choice but to accelerate our adoption of emerging technologies in many in many ways, this being one of them. So we anticipate and we're seeing this just just by virtue of what we've seen over the past 12 to 24 months and then at an exponential rate over the past two months. Um, we do not expect this to slow down. We expect this to actually only accelerate. Is there a way for an organization to kind of dip their toe in this or do they have to kind of go all in? That's exactly, I mean, we advocate, our approach, we often refer to it as crawl, walk, run. So we, we to this day have only done one implementation that was large scale right out of the gate with a client, but that was because they had already dipped their toe in, so to speak, previously with somebody else. And they were looking for a, a, a vendor, a company to partner with that had more depth and breadth at an enterprise level. And so aside from that, right, it's often and highly recommended that they go through the process at an iter- in an iterative fashion that allows them to think about how they want to do this over time. So we recommend that, in fact. Now, what's the pain that that company or organization is having where Immersive Health Group is the solution? Really good question. So there's a variety. And, and, and again, I think this is going to be vertical specific. But if you want to think at large, talent development, right, talent retention, um, reducing turnover, right? And then I think really then, so that's on the talent side. Then let's look at the performance side, right? Every health system has been tasked with essentially doing not just doing more with less, but doing more, doing better, and with less. Every health system in the country has a financial imperative that's essentially pushed down by legislation. Uh, And so they need to reduce costs and reduce spending, but they also have performance metrics that they need to meet like they never had previously. And so they, they simply put need their people to perform and be at their best. They also need their people to actually have a higher quality of life than they ever had previously. It's not enough and it's not okay to burn out the workforce, whether it's clinical or otherwise. It's just not acceptable anymore. And so organizations are feeling the fallout from that. And so they know they need to invest in their people, not just now, not just for the next 12 months or the next 24 months, but for the next few decades. Because quite frankly, the the systems that we've seen that are adopting this and adopting this exponentially, they understand that talent is the differentiation for them, and that's what's going to enable them to thrive. 
Now, if somebody wanted to have a more substantive conversation with you or anyone on your team about maybe the technology or even if they're the talent that's looking for a new challenge, is there a website? Absolutely. Just go to immersivehealthgroup.com and you can reach out to uh, any one of us through the site. Good stuff, Dope. Thank you so much for sharing your story and congratulations on all the success. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on Learning Insights Radio. Although we stop, 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 stop.